In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through God, everything was created, and in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son.
At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census that was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And they were there. The time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby, lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who had heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them.
From the words of the Apostle Peter, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. From the words of the Apostle John, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever.
that was awesome. Um, just to be a part of that um, was really special. I, I barely could sing that last song. I mean, there's just so many parts in it that just capture you. And um, you come to realize that um, truly we are blessed if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust you feel that way today. I trust you know without a doubt that you belong to the Lord and um, that you're here to celebrate not only the birth of our Lord and Savior, but his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, and one day his coming again for those that belong to him. So let's pray uh, together uh, this morning. Father, uh, our hearts are full. Um, we say we're sorry, Lord, for leaving you out a lot. Maybe we do that. Uh, maybe we ought to recapture uh, what our culture has taken away, and that is the um, birth of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus. And I pray as we talk for just a few minutes that um, if there's one in here uh, today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that today might be that day of salvation. And um, all this I pray in the blessed name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wanted to share with you guys just a, for 10, 15 minutes something the Lord's put on my heart and um, really spent the last week thinking about how our culture has robbed us of celebration of Christ. Um, do you know that on average there will only be 40% of homes this Christmas that even have the least bit of focus on the birth of Christ? Now, that's not very many folks. In fact, um, statistics tell us that more and more now are just not even embracing any type of religion. Um, that there are so many people today, truly in the dark, that don't understand the light and life of the gospel of Christ. I called them troubling times because for two reasons. One, uh, we can see the trouble, can't we? We see folks today who are living like they're hopeless, like they're helpless, like there's no hope for tomorrow, that all life has to offer is what's here now. But the other reason that I thought of troubling times is because I think it's troublesome for the church. I think we're going to be forced more and more to stand on what we know to be the truth. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And we're going to be forced to stand on the biblical truth in the midst of opposition of those folks who want to push away with all their heart and their mind to push away the message of Christ. I want you to hear me. It's happening with success. All we have to do is walk around during uh, times like Christmas and Easter and we can see... A lot of celebration going on, but minimal celebration as it relates to Christ. 
And unfortunately for you and for me that know the truth around the incarnation of Jesus Christ, unfortunately we're really having to guard ourselves quite close, especially as it relates to our children and our grandchildren because of the messages of the world. That indeed Christmas really has no meaning other than receiving gifts under a tree or getting together with family. And as Christians, we enjoy getting together with family, don't we? We enjoy getting together with friends. Who doesn't like to open a gift? Right? We all enjoy that. But the greatest gift of all has already been given. And that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I truly believe that the church today needs to recapture that. The church today maybe needs to spend more time in the home during Christmas emphasizing to children and grandchildren the true meaning of the season. I ran across some numbers that were disturbing and I wanted to share them with you. Um, I, I entitled them Disturbing Numbers. Only 46% of U.S. adults believe that Christmas is about Christ. You know what that means? 54% do not. Okay? Um, that's disturbing. I think about the way it was when I was growing up and, and, and you drove around neighborhoods and who doesn't love looking at lights? My, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she loved looking at lights. I love looking at lights. I love looking at all the decorations. There's nothing wrong with that. Back in the day, though, you would see a lot more manger scenes than you do today. Wouldn't it be great if we committed as a church? I don't know how you feel about this. And the Lord just put it in my mind. What if we all just said, you know what, we're going to commit to put a manger scene in our yard? You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, probably 90% of the people in your neighborhood won't have one. Right? Well... 46% of U.S. adults believe that Christmas is about Christ. Of the 46% who believe that Christmas is about Christ, 71% of those believe He came to be the Savior of the world. Make sense of that for me. Well, why in the world did He come? What in the world did we do today? We sang about the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming and His life and his death, and his resurrection. He just didn't come to the world. He came to save sinners. That's what he came to do. And we love to say, by grace are we saved through faith, right? Well, there's some other statistics that were disturbing to me. Of the 71% who believe that he came to be the Savior of the world, 60% believe he was born of a virgin. There's a disconnect. Can we agree on that? There's a disconnect, not only in our culture, but in our church, or the church. There's an emphasis. Maybe it would be interesting to do kind of like a, a what would you call that? Uh, you just go out and, and kind of do a survey of churches during the Christmas season Instead of meeting here, maybe at our regular time, I said, look, go find out what they're doing at other churches. We'll meet afterwards. What in the world's going on? I mean, Christmas, we think of the virgin birth, don't we? 
people who claim no religious affiliation is up to 53% in the United States. That number will only grow. You know what I found about generations? And I'll illustrate it through work ethic. Can I do that? Good. My grandfathers had a large work ethic. Both of my grandfathers grew up in the Depression. One grew up as a sharecropper, making five to ten cents a day, picking cotton out of fields. Um, I admired him greatly. He's one of my heroes um, because he loved the Lord, and his father loved the Lord. And, and that, I have that, that heritage. And, and, but as I look at that and I think about work ethic, Boy, he, he, he was a worker. He worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. My dad is a worker. He grew up in that Vietnam generation. He went to Vietnam. He was there for a while. Um, that generation picked up from their parents because my grandfather, my grandpa Blunt, told my dad when he was 16 years old, congratulations, you're 16, go get a job. And so he went and got a job. And he told him before, he said, don't come home till you have one. There are plenty out there. And then my dad passed on a work ethic to me. Now, I couldn't, I can't do all the tool stuff, although I'm figuring some stuff out. I actually fixed a shower head this last week. Praise Jesus. And um, so I've got a work ethic. It's just in a different area. But you hand that down to generation after generation and you look at it, it seems, just as observation, as if a work ethic is waning. I think the same thing applies when it comes to potentially handing down biblical truth. That there's been a a large commitment in past generations and we're seeing generations come and grow up and we're seeing less and less emphasis on the Lord and more and more emphasis on culture. Well, that's not very many folks, is it? A couple of more. Only 46% of people claim they will attend a worship service Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. You know, a lot of things get in the way of that, right? So that's something to think through. And 25% of citizens in the United States claim to be born-again Christians. Just 25%. Those numbers were done by Pew Research two years ago. I'm thinking, well, what's, what about now? How have those statistics changed? And I guess that's why I labeled them disturbing because we've gotten away from the basic message of the gospel of Christ. You know, how many times should we share the gospel with our children and grandchildren? Don't put a number on it. Endless. How many times do you see the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts telling his story over and over and over and over again? Guys, we have the best story if we know Christ. We've already received the best gift if we know Christ. But our culture as a whole is lost. You know, we wore black shirts today. And I like my, I had to go buy a black shirt. I didn't have a black shirt. But when we see black, we think of darkness, don't we? We live in a dark culture. We live in a cult culture that's pushing away Christ and Christianity. 
not one that's embracing it. You know, my question is, how will we respond to the challenge that comes? And it's not a challenge that we face three or four times a year as we celebrate different parts of Christ and Christianity. It's a challenge we, we, we face every day. Every single day that you go to school or you go to that cubby hole and work or you're out doing blue-collar work and you're digging ditches or whatever it is you do, you face people. People who have a testimony. Everyone has a testimony. It's just, who are they following? So the one you work with, the one you go to school with, the one that you do sports with, whatever it is that you do, what about them? When was the last time that when you looked in a person's face, whether it was school or work or play, whatever, you thought eternity? You thought, I wonder where this person's going to spend eternity. Worthy of consideration? Absolutely. Truly nothing else matters. When I was growing up, um, I was involved a lot in, in ministry with my parents. I got saved when I was seven, and then I started witnessing to the neighborhood. I just wanted everybody to get saved. I, I, I was so concerned. I mean, all my friends, I was looking them at the face at seven, eight years old saying, hey, you need Christ, you're going to hell if you don't trust him. And you're a sinner just in case you need to know, and he came to die for your sins. We sang a lot of songs. And there's a song that we sang that ties into a verse, and I'll give you the song in just a minute, but the verse we know well. The verse is one that, in my opinion, um, has somewhat gone away from Christian culture. I, I'm, I have a hard time even saying that, but I believe it's true. I believe it's in the recesses now. I no longer believe it's in the forefront, but it needs to be. It's a simple but profound message. Can we agree on that? It's set within the context of Jesus having a discussion with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And what does he tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. And Nicodemus understands right away. No, he doesn't understand. Listen to me. When we present the gospel to someone, we don't walk away and go, oh, they're just not going to believe. No, listen to me. If we have the opportunity to present the gospel to our family member or to our friend, we go away with the confidence that we've planted a seed. Right? And we're praying that seed would be watered. And we're praying that that person would come to see that Jesus Christ died for their sins. We want them to see, don't we? That he was willing to pay the penalty for our sin and go to a cross and die for us. The Bible tells us that he was buried and that he rose again. And so when Easter comes around, we do what? We celebrate his resurrection. But as Christians, you know, we don't, these different times of the year, we don't have to wait and celebrate them at Christmas or at Easter. We celebrate the incarnation of Christ because we understand its meaning. We celebrate 
the death and burial resurrection of Christ because we understand its meaning. And we celebrate the hope of the return of Christ. Isn't that why we're here today? Or did we just come today because it's close to Christmas and we need a few brownie points? You know, that's how some people think, unfortunately. Look what the good news is. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, mankind. That's the meaning. <laughs> the world. Everyone in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He gave His only Son. What in the world does that encompass? It encompasses Him coming in the flesh. It encompasses Him living a perfect life. It encompasses Him dying on a cross for Thad's sin and for your sin, for man's sin. And they buried him. And three days later, what happened? He rose again. Say it. He rose again. And then he was with his disciples. And then he ascended to the Father. He took that crown of thorns. He took that flogging. He took the nails in his hands and his feet. The sword in his side. He took the verbal abuse. Hey, if you are truly the king of the Jews, get down. He could (laughs) have. Oh, he could have. But he stayed there. Think about that. He stayed there for you and for me and for you. You know what we just marvel over? He was guilty of nothing. But he took on the sins of the world. So that little phrase that he gave his only begotten son, there's a lot wrapped up in that. Look at this, that whoever believes in him. Believes what? Believes that he died for their sins. I hear people say, well, that people need to understand that they're a sinner. Yeah. And they will if they believe in Christ. Oh, they will. Because they'll come to understand that Jesus Christ spread out his arms in love and bled and died for them. So when it says whoever believes in him, it believes that he paid the full penalty for our sin. So we acknowledge that we're sinners and we trust in Christ. I did that when I was seven. When did you do that? Or have you done that? I hope you know you have. 
The rest of that verse, he says that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That word there does not mean annihilation. Do you know what that word means? It means to be put away from. It means to be cut off. Do you know that every unbeliever will be cut off from the presence of the Lord forever? Imagine that. The one that loved them the most, cut off. I was reading an article this last week about people who like to put off things. No one in here does. I can tell just looking at you. You don't put off anything that you need to do, do you? I was reading a story about an older gentleman who was in his 70s and he put off dealing with Christ. He just kept putting it off. People kept presenting it. He kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And finally, he receives word that he is deathly ill. The pastor comes to his room and says, Hey, it's time you deal with eternity. He didn't do it. He kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And he made a decision, I don't need the Lord. Hey, we, we, we react to that statement. But do you know there are loads of people out in our culture who've said the same thing? I don't need the Lord. We don't, need, we don't live in a culture that says we need anything. We've got everything. But we need the Lord, don't we? Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No exception. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's a sad thing to think that there will be many, many people that will be cut off from the presence of the Lord, but that will happen. Love the way he ends, though, don't you? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You say, Dad, I can't wait for eternal life. It's already started, if you know Christ. It's already started. I think one of the greatest illustrations in all of the Bible is Stephen. And what that looks like, no matter what you're going through in life. And that this man's being martyred because of his faith in Christ. And what happens? The heavens open, don't they? You know what that's called? That's called grace. If the Lord doesn't come back first, every single one of us in this room may face death on earth. May happen. We don't know our days. We would like to probably at times. But we don't know the days that we have. But we know we have right this second, don't we? Have you said yes to the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? You know, as we were singing that last song, I was just like, man, this is so, so good. I practiced in my truck where nobody could hear me. I was singing that bass part. 
Man, I was, it was sounding really good in my truck. But as I was singing that last song, as I kept practicing the song, it went from being a song to a message. Does that make sense? It went from something, Ron, that I was practicing for to a message. Guys, it's not too late. If you don't know Christ, it's not too late right now. But you know, the one who gave himself as the greatest gift, he knows your days. And if you die without knowing Christ, it's too late. Are you listening to me? It's too late. I read a story of a young man who was 17 years old. 17 years old. His grandfather was a very wealthy man. And the boy was expecting a very nice gift from his grandfather at Christmas. When he, when the grandfather went to hand the boy the box, the boy knew without a shadow of a doubt that within that box there would be a key to a new car. Well, when he opened the box, there was only a Bible. The grandfather handed the grandson the Bible and he said, this is your gift. This is what I've chosen to give you. And the grandson was disappointed. You could see it in his face. The grandfather could see the disappointment in his face. But he gave the boy the Bible with one piece of instruction. Go home and read Luke 2. And so the boy went home and he opened his top drawer and he threw the Bible in the drawer and he shut it. He didn't look at Luke 2. A few months went by and the grandfather died. At the funeral, a family friend came up to the boy and asked him if he had received his new car. The boy replied that he had not, but what he received for his birthday was a Bible. The friend said to the boy, young man, go home and read Luke chapter 2. So later that day, he opened the drawer and he found a letter from his grandfather along with Luke chapter 2. The grandfather said, I've purchased a car for you and it is being held by the dealer for 90 days. You must pick it up by that time or you lose the car. The boy looked at his calendar and realized he had missed the opportunity by three days. He had lost a great gift by three days. You know how it works. People say, I'll trust him tomorrow, but you might die today. And if you die today without Christ, you're forever away from Christ.
there's a song that I mentioned a few minutes ago, and it ties into um, John chapter three. We sang it when I was a boy, and um, it was called "Good News." You heard that song? Any of you old people around here? Good news, good news, Christ died for me. Good news, good news, if I believe. Good news, good news, I'm saved eternally. That's wonderful, extra good news. I trust today that you, without a doubt, know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the greatest gift that you could ever receive has already been delivered in the person of Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then the choir, we, the choir. I can't believe I'm in the choir. Ron, is this just a one-day thing, I'm in the choir? Probably so. When we have to start rehearsing, that won't go well. Um, We're going to sing Silent Night to close. And when we're finished with the song, um, you'll be dismissed. Okay, and so I just want to warn you about that. Don't start looking around thinking, I wonder what my neighbor's going to do. Just stand up and start fellowshipping with those around you, all right? So I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll sing the song, Silent Night. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the greatest gift of all, and that's your son, Jesus. In a room this size, I'm sure there are some that may not know you. I pray that today they might come to know how much you love them. That you sent your son to be the savior of the world. While we recognize not everyone will believe, my challenge this morning is that those in here would believe. That if they do believe, they will continue to share the great news But if there's one in here that doesn't know you, I pray that today could be the day of salvation when they come to believe in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. I pray that um, during this Christmas season, maybe more than we have been, that we would be mindful of the greatest gift of all. And that we would have opportunities to share that good news with others who might not know. Please accept our worship today. I pray that it's been glorifying to you. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Son.